been to church today. <laughs> Grateful to our choir and to these soloists who lead so marvelously. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place today. Amen? There's two themes. Maybe you've heard them mentioned here. It has to do with stones and a river. Stones and a river. These markers of crossing over from something old into something new. From a certain way into something bigger that is unknown. It's the biblical story. You've heard it through song and through liturgy, through our responsive readings, through the prayer. I want you to hear it from God's Word from Joshua chapter 4. Listen for the word of the Lord. When the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Select twelve men from the people, one from each tribe, and command them, Take twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priests' feet stood, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you camp tonight, the campground. Then Joshua summoned the twelve men from the Israelites whom he had appointed, one from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder, one for each of the tribes of the Israelites, so that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off in front of the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When the ark crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, parted. So these stones shall be to the Israelites a memorial forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There was a preacher somewhere in Alabama who woke up one Sunday morning and he made his way to the church very early like we all do and it was an exceptionally fine and beautiful spring day. So this preacher decided that it was just too good of a golf day to pass up. So the preacher called in the associate pastors and, and told him he was feeling a little bit sick and he needed the associate pastors to lead worship for him that day. And then as soon as the associate pastors left, the preacher scurried home and grabbed the golf gear and, and drove about 60 miles away. Just because 60 miles away, you're certain not to see anybody on accident who would think maybe you're supposed to be in church, but it's Sunday. There was really nobody there. Well, it was about that time that St. Peter leaned over to Jesus while looking down from heaven and said, well, you're not going to allow him to get away with this, are you? And he said, no, I, I guess not. Well, the preacher, he teed up his ball and he hit one, I mean, just crushed it. And it bounced one time and went into a 430-yard hole-in-one. St. Peter said, Lord, why did you let him do that? I thought you weren't going to let him get away with that. Jesus smiled and said, Who's he going to tell? <laughs> hey, I want to thank you for being here today in person 
And I want to thank all of those joining us by live stream and through television, through WSFA. You are part of our wider worshiping body, and we are so glad that you are here. All of you enliven worship for us. Thank you for making it a priority. When your children ask, what do these stones mean? What is this, what is this place? What do these halls mean? these rafters, these windows. What will you tell them? Do you know our story? It's a remarkable story. It's one of patience, perseverance, deliverance, courage, and always the belief that He's never left us yet. Since the time of Joshua, really before the time of Joshua, God's people have always had a story to tell. And honestly, the stories that we read about in the good book, <laughs> you might believe about a 430-yard hole-in-one before you believe some of these stories, but I'm here to tell you they're true. They're in God's Word. Sometimes, like in Joshua, the, the ones who need to bear witness to that and to tell that story are, are the ones who have seen it all unfold. Last week, we were thinking about our own stories, and I asked you the question, what is your story? What is your story of transformation? How has God changed your life? And how are you using your life as a master class, as Oprah says, to teach others, to give away the transformation and the grace that God has, has given to you? Do your friends and your relatives, your neighbors, your acquaintances, your enemies, do they know something about you? Or do they really know your story, your identity in Jesus Christ? That's the question. Well, today, the question, it's a little bit different. We're going from what is your story to what is our story? Or what is, what is our backstory? Because everybody has a story. Every organization has a story. Every city has a story. Every institution has a story. Every family has a story. Every congregation has a story. And we all have in it markers or defining moments that have helped change or shape or, or form the, the direction that our story will lead us. Uh, my wife Susan and I, we are so close to moving into our new house. <laughs> oh, we can't wait to be in our own house. What we've discovered over the course of the last few weeks is there's a story that we never knew. You see, in our upstairs, there were several layers of, of flooring. We knew we wanted to pull back the layer of carpet, the most recent story there, if you will. Pull back that layer. And what we discovered are these marvelous hardwood floors that were underneath the carpet. But when the, the flooring person came, said, I, I can't do anything with those floors. They're too worn. They're too old. I can't, I can't resurrect them. So after a little bit of digging, just looking a little bit more in the closets and all, there was another discovery that was made. Underneath the carpet and un was the oak, and underneath the oak were 109-year-old heart pine floors. Ooh, they're gorgeous. It was worth an extra few days, weeks, to have all of that... <laughs> to have all of that resurrected. But we made a discovery in, in the master bedroom. On the floor, just scattered out in no particular order, are these, these marks. 
black marks, burn marks, and there's divots where something has burned. I don't know the story. Some of you Montgomery historians, I would love to know the story of my house. (laughs) What Susan and I have discovered, what we decided is we're going to leave those marks because there's a story there. They tell a story that we're stepping into that's, that's bigger and older and so much wiser than, than we are, they'll stay there as a permanent marker. Susan and I believe we'll leave our marks on that house too. I'm just praying it won't be through fire. Witness marks tell a story. Defining moments tell a story. We all have a story. What's, what's our story as a congregation? It all comes down in my mind to one, one pretty, pretty dominant word if you read our history, and that's sacrifice. That for 190 years, the people called Methodists in this, in this city have sacrificed to give us these stones that are telling a story. The windows, the rafters, these wonderfully inlaid ceiling tiles. Did you know that they were hand-painted? because there wasn't enough money to have them done otherwise. Did you know that about our story? Sacrifice is who we are. And so I just wonder, as we're thinking about what these stones mean and and our story together, where did the courage come from, from those in 1829? What was their vision for the future? It was you. It was us. It was a vision that First United Methodist Church of Montgomery would continue to leave our witness marks on this city. What do these stones mean? Well, they're more than just stones. They're more than just a pile of rocks. In Joshua's days, it was more than just a pile of rocks on a bank. This is our heritage. This is our, our family. This is, this is our, our tradition. But But permeating from these walls is is also a challenge from previous generations saying, it's your turn. Make a difference in this city. Step up, step forward, cross into the waters. It'll dry up if you do, and you'll cross on to the other side. You may think it's too muddy, but it's not. You may think it's too swift, but it's not. You may think it's too deep, but it's not. Step on in. He's never failed you yet. That's our story. That's our song. For 190 years, this congregation has been crossing into new chapters of our story. And if you just think about 190 years of of the U.S. timeline or the Alabama timeline, just the, the sheer history of it, even at a glance, you know that we have worked our way through some unbelievably trying moments in history. Times of uncertainty and fear, bitterness, strife, challenges, but always sacrifice and faith because he's never failed us yet. I promised last week that I wouldn't unload 190 years of history on you in, in three weeks. You remember that story? But what I do want you to know are some of those defining moments that in 1829, in 1829, lot number one, parcel number 20, became the site of Montgomery's first church. Our city will celebrate its bicentennial this year in December. 
for nearly the entirety of the city's story has been our story. Union Church was formed. The Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, they all worshiped together downtown at Court Street, would later become Court Street Methodist. We would later give away that church, that sanctuary, to our brothers and sisters at Old Ship. One century later, in 1929, decisions were in the works to move locations from, from the Court Street site to this spot. Can you imagine how those board meetings must have gone? Do we hang on to what we know? Or do we take a step and cross over into something new? That's a question that any strong and faithful church will ask itself at every juncture. Do we hang on or do we cross over? When the Great Depression hit, after plans were already underway to locate to this, it's called the Triangle Parcel in Cloverdale in our, in our history, this Triangle Parcel right here. How would we pay for it? There was no money. People had to get creative. Men and women took out mortgage, personal mortgages, double mortgages to pay for this. They, they sold all kinds of stenciled and needlepoints and pies and all kinds of different things because they said, we have a future in mind. We have Montgomery in mind. But most of all, we have the kingdom of God in mind. And we want to leave a legacy, a story, bigger than any of us, bigger than any generation, for those who have yet to even come. What do we do? We don't have any money. What do we do? We build it one stone at a time, one piece of wood at a time. We change one life at a time for Jesus Christ and leave the rest to the Holy Spirit. And with total respect for the older generations here today and all of those who have come before me, I, I just want to say a word to my generation and the younger generations. Because this is our time. This is our time to step into these same waters with courage and to, to step up and to ensure that these walls and these halls will remain vibrant places where people can connect with, with Jesus Christ. I want my grandchildren and great-grandchildren baptized right here where Gwendolyn was a long time from now. But I want my grandchildren and great-grandchildren baptized here. I want them to come up and stand before this same congregation and say, I believe in Jesus. And I want them confirmed here and married here and buried here. Susan and I plan to be interred here at our, our columbarium. Are you familiar with the columbarium here on the north side of our, our campus? That day is going to come, and Susan and I want to rest at peace over here. These stones in our, our columbarium, they tell their own story. I spend time in the columbarium every Sunday. Every Sunday is a little Easter. It's a day of resurrection. And so the very first thing that, that I do when I get here on, on Sunday mornings is I, I pray. I pray right here. Uh, at the chancel, and I pray for all of you. And then I walk to our columbarium, and I walk through, and I see those names. I see your husband and your wife, and your child and your grandchild, your mom and your daddy. And so I spend time out there listening to their stories, and then I spend time asking for their courage and for their their same kind of faith, their same kind of witness. And 
And they remind me of something. He's never failed us yet. That some things are worth remembering. There's a blogger named Lee Powers. I ran across her work a couple of years ago when when I was teaching this text and and she was helpful. She says about the importance of remembering things. She says, my head is going to explode if I get one more uh, username or password to remember. How many of you have way too many usernames, right? Facebook, Twitter, (laughs) Insta, email, bank account, phone company, health insurance, doctor's offices. Every single company you buy anything from wants you to create a unique username and password so that they may streamline your shopping experience. Well, how about this, she says. How about I just create an account every time I log on? That's fine with me. She says it's not just passwords that we have to remember and we struggle to remember. How many times have we dragged our children into the grocery store thinking that we've checked off every item in our our shopping cart and we get home only to find out that we forgot the very thing that we were going to the grocery store for, for and, you know, She says earlier in the week she got her morning snack all ready and then her child asked her a question and four hours later she went back and her snack was there. She forgot all about it. She says we're busy and distracted and things slip our minds. We're all tied up in the hustle and bustle of life, especially our young adult families. And so we do things like forget about the laundry or forget to let the dog out or to sign that permission slip. We forget about all kinds of things, whether it's tasks for the daily grind or passwords. But there's some things in this world that we need to remember. There's some things worth taking time, intentional time to mark and to notice and to remember. Joshua and the people, they took stones out of that river and they set them up on the bank because they had the future in mind Our ancestors set up these glorious stones because they had the future in mind. We need tangible reminders. We need tangible reminders of where we've been and where we are in order to know where we're going. What do these stones mean? They mean He's never left us yet. They mean to tell us how God loved people so much that he heard their cries, he delivered them from shame and from poverty and indebtedness by by freeing them for joyful obedience. We cannot understand where we're going if we do not understand where we've been. And so after coming through the Great Depression, we managed to pay off a mortgage once, and we'll do it again. We've been through an explosion which caused the loss of life in our education building, but from those ashes came the power of resurrection and and a new story, and we're stronger than ever. We have survived the ebb and flow of this dynamic city, and I believe that Montgomery's best days are just getting started. We will take a step into these swift waters toward a future where God is already at work. Fear not. Step forward. You know, with all the stories that are told here, all the Old Testament lessons, the New Testament lessons, the gospel lessons, the resurrection lessons, all the icons that are here that were added later in the 50s, all the stories that are told here throughout these these hallowed walls, there's one aspect of this sanctuary 
that speaks to my soul. And it's the stones on which we walk every single week. The stones on, on the floor of this sanctuary in the nave, they come in all different shapes and sizes and colors and dimensions, and they come from all different places, from all over the world, because they represent the kingdom of God. They represent us. And if you look closely at the stones that come in all different shapes and sizes and, and dimensions, what you'll notice is that every so often you see that there's cracks. You don't have to look far to see a broken stone. If you look here in the chancel area, these same stones that are here, these stones are whole. There's not a single crack in them at all. And the idea, the story that our ancestors gave us for today and for the future is that we all come here. We all share a story of brokenness, of trials, tribulation. You don't have to look very far to find brokenness in this world. But when we encounter the holy, when we hear under these arches, he's never left us yet, he's never failed us yet, oh, we're put back together just a little bit at a time to be remembered means to be put back together. We've, we've become dismembered by life. We need to be remembered, as in made whole again. So what is our story? Our story is that God has never failed us yet, that God continues to be at work in this world, piecing us together a little bit at a time, but for what end? To make a difference when we enter back out into the mission field. So I want to invite you to listen to these stones. We're heading into the new, a new chapter of our story. We are living stones now, you and I. Living stones with a story to tell. What we hear all around us, it's your turn. Be bold. Dream wildly. Step into those waters I'll be with you, and I'll meet you on the other side. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. Amen.